Welcome back to the Pop, aka the Preston Outdoors podcast. Got another exciting episode coming to you um, this week. A few little housekeeping things. Uh, make sure you guys, if you haven't already, go ahead and follow us on all those major streaming platforms that the podcast is listening at. If you don't mind, go ahead and leave a review on there and um, a like, stuff like that. It really helps us boost so we can get reach more viewers. And if you're enjoying the episode so far, don't may, don't be afraid to uh, to share them. Share them on Facebook, share them, stuff like that. Getting more viewers is really going to help, uh, help the channel, help me get more guests on here and, and really help... Um, get you more content that you can consume another thing kind of along the same lines there is make sure you guys are either sending me an email preston outdoors with the number two at gmail.com or commenting on the podcast blog that is on the preston outdoors um, website or once again message me on instagram and stuff like that i did a poll last week on my instagram story some of the techniques and stuff maybe different topics based off of what we were going to talk about that I would be interested to see what you guys are interested in, what we can talk about there. If any of that makes sense. Um, also this week, don't forget, we are uploading these podcasts on Tuesdays, Tuesday mornings. These podcasts will be live for you to, to listen to. And also the podcast video will be up on YouTube, the Preston Outdoors YouTube channel as well. Talking about the YouTube channel, don't forget, Thursdays at 3 p.m. Central Time, we are uploading YouTube videos. Been really good at getting consistent uh, videos out for you there. Last week, we just dropped the last um, ice fishing video of the 2020-2021 season for myself. And uh, this week, I got something special. So make sure you tune in on Thursday at 3 p.m. Uh, Central Standard Time for that. Uh, today's episode, we're going to get him in here shortly. Today's episode, we have the one, the only, the man, the myth, the legend, Johnny Candle in today. I'm going to go in that a little bit more when we um, get him in here, but uh, Johnny's been a good friend of mine for the last few years, and we're going to be talking about, how do I say this? It's something I get super excited about every year, and I'm not traditionally a, a walleye fisherman, just more of a multi-species guy, but I target bass most of the year, but springtime walleye fishing has to be some of my favorite time of the year. I do not get much sleep, fishing a lot, working a lot, but... Um, filling the freezer with some good, uh, good size eaters. And then also, you know, trying to get that elusive 30 plus inch walleye or 10 pound plus um, walleye that we can put on the brag board, stuff like that. So without further ado, we're going to get Johnny Candle in here and uh, let's talk some springtime walleyes. So welcome back everybody. Welcome back to the pop AKA the Preston Outdoors podcast. I told you before we took a break, we're bringing one and the only Johnny Candle. Johnny, thanks for joining us. Hey, it's fun to be here, uh, even though we're, uh, what are we, about 120 miles apart. Uh, it's always fun to talk, no matter how far apart we are. Yes, yes, it definitely is. And and I forgot to mention, this obviously young podcast here, but our biggest guest on here. So we're going to go through some of this. Johnny Cannell is a professional angler. He's been fishing the Pro Tour for over 25 years, and he's got tournament championships um, made angler of the year and inducted into the North Dakota fishing hall of fame. So you could say there's a, a little bit of a resume behind what you've been doing for the last few years. Uh, we've been at it a long time and it's just like any sport, you have your good runs and your bad runs. And fortunately the good ones have outnumbered the bad ones and I'm still kicking to do it. So uh, very fortunate, very blessed to do what I've done over the last quarter of a century. And uh, I'm not quite sure I have a quarter of a century left, but I'm going to give it all I can to get there. <laughs> That's awesome. 
Yeah, like you said, we'll, we'll get into it. And that's kind of the next step I wanted to talk to is, I mean, I've got to know you over the few years. We're going to talk about our story and how we got to, to meet next, but or after this, but I wanted to talk about, um, tell the viewers, I mean, we see we see the the people that don't know you as well as I do or others. They see the jersey, we see the, the sponsors, we see the trophies, we see the, you know, the shop that you're building and stuff up there. Um, tell us tell us a little bit, the viewers and who's ever watching on YouTube, tell us how you got started in this and really your humble beginnings getting into just fishing in general. Oh, yeah. Well, I started, I think, like, uh, well, I, I started the way I think most people or I'd like to think most people started as a, as a very young man, uh, four years old, five years old, photos with me and my dad on the bank of the local river or pond or lake or wherever we could find. Uh, my father and grandfather both were huge influences on me as a youngster. They fished all the time. And uh, back in the day, Ethan, it was kind of uh, the end thing to want to be just like your dad. I'm not so sure that's how it works nowadays. But man, when I was a youngster, uh, if my dad would have walked across broken glass and hot coals, I'd have been right behind him trying to do it myself. Uh, you just wanted to be like your dad. And he got me hook, line and sinker on fishing and, uh, just nothing I'd rather do. Uh, I played the other sports, football, basketball, baseball, ran a little track, did all that stuff, loved competitive athletics, but man, as soon as practice was over or the season was over, and you had six or eight or 10 days before the next season started, I spent them all fishing somewhere. Uh, when I started college, uh, 1988, I graduated high school. My dad bought a 28 foot charter boat and started a charter boat service on Lake Erie. And by default, I was the uh, jack of all trades, right? Clean fish, clean the boat, get the rods and reels ready, uh, run the deck when we were out charter fishing, first mate, deckhand, whatever you want to call it. I uh, was studying to get a marketing degree, so I did all the marketing for my father's business as well uh, and got to watch that grow. Uh, it's amazing that what they teach you in school actually does work, right? So uh, every project I did for uh, my marketing classes in college were to promote my father's charter boat business. So uh, when I graduated college, I thought like everybody else, well, the dream is over, the fun is over, now it's time to get that nine to five job. and. I tried that for about six months uh, and said, you know what, this is not for me. I don't care if I'm flat, flat, broken, busted. I am, I'm going fishing somehow. So uh, at age 23, uh, quit a job, saw an ad in a magazine for a professional walleye tournament circuit and looked at my savings account and said, I have just enough money to pay the entry fees and do this. So I'm going to do it. Uh, it probably wasn't the smartest move I made. The boat I was fishing out of costs about 1200 bucks. My pickup truck costs about 800. Uh, and I took off and went across the country in an 18 foot Lund SV boat. And for those of you that don't know what a Lund SV is, that's the wooden bench seats without a floor, right? I stood on the ribs of my aluminum boat with a 40 horsepower Johnson motor, no trim or tilt. It was either in the water or out of the water. There was nothing in the middle. Um, first year out was absolutely horrid, uh, embarrassing almost. I came home after the last tournament, uh, told my dad I gave it all I had. It's time to go back to work. And he sat me down and said, no, you're not quitting. You had too many moments of brilliance to just write it off. 
So he talked me into doing it the next year. And that second season, I qualified for my first national walleye championship. Uh, so at age 24, I was fishing against Gary Roach, Bob Prop Sr., Mike McClellan, Gary Parsons, Keith Kavai. I mean, go down the list, right? Uh, the, the list of 40 anglers, because that's all they took to the championship then was 40 anglers. Uh, it was 39 guys that you could name off the top of your head and this one kid named Johnny Candle. So, uh, again, that was, man, 27 years ago, 26 years ago, and I'm still going strong. So, yeah, like I said, it's been a fun ride. It's been a fortunate series of events. I could tell stories, Ethan, someday if you want to about the nights I slept in my truck or uh, under the boat cover at a campground or, uh, you know, literally most guys quit eating ramen noodles when they graduate college. Well, not this guy. I lived on mac and cheese and hot dogs cooked in the hotel parking lot for years and years and years. But you got to make sacrifices to get where you want to go. And and here we are today, 2021 and still tearing it up. So. No, that's it. That's exactly right. And like I said, when the first time you had told me that story and, you know, stuff like that, it's like I was ready to shoot, sell everything I had and take off with my boat and go and try and do it. You know what I mean? Like it's the things like that you don't hear. And that's definitely the idea that you brought up of, of doing a video or a, a episode or whatever on the not so glorious sides of the tournament fishing in the, the beginnings and humble beginnings. That's again, this is what I want to talk about on this, this podcast is some episodes that, you know, people aren't thinking about people see, like I said, at the beginning, they see the trophies, they see the Jersey, they see the boats, but they don't see the, and nobody, you know, for what, for the most part, there's probably nobody around to see that kind of stuff in the beginning. Right. So exactly. It's, it's definitely exactly. one of those things that I would love to touch on with you sometime. And I think, I think the viewers would love it too, because if you, even if you're not into, um, tournament fishing you're into fun fishing whatever it's still one of those started from the bottom now we're here kind of, of stories and and like you said the the stories you have from the beginning till now are would be just awesome yeah when you do it in another industry other than fishing they make a e hollywood story out of your life right it's uh i have the same stories that you know the actors that go to hollywood and don't get a job for six years or or the rodeo guy that got bucked off horses nonstop for six or seven years and finally got his break. Uh, we have all the same stories to tell. Just, just the, the professional walleye tournament trail isn't glamorous enough to get the attention. But yeah, someday we'll tell those stories. But Ethan, I, I don't know. I, it's starting to feel like fishing season out there right now, isn't it to you? I think we oh my fishing. gosh you're you're telling me i've been chomping at the bit i mean i ice fish i ice fish i know you don't really ice fish but not i've been much, doing it much. i know you yeah if you do it's not very much but for me it's just every since probably the end of february beginning of march i'm like why are more bodies of water open so i thought for my progression like i told people at the beginning i'm gonna of this channel we're gonna move on with the seasons and what's progressing and next on my mind if i wasn't going tournament bass fishing which in about a week or so i'm taking off I'm thinking springtime walleyes and I'm thinking on what is next? What is the next step? And what I've got some things that I want you to talk about or tell the, tell the viewers is we're going to talk about something that probably isn't brought up a lot when you talk about springtime walleyes. And I want to talk about safety first. I want to right. talk about um, your rivers, your lakes, when they first start opening up um, and we'll, we can bounce back in 
back and forth between rivers and lakes. But I want to talk about from your, as a standpoint, even from a bank fisherman, wade fisherman, or from, from right. you fishing out of the boat, what are some safety precautions that you need to make sure that you have in the boat or that you've prepared yourself for in this time of year for chasing walleyes? Well, yeah, safety is a big deal. And even all the way back to my childhood beginnings, uh, walleye fishing in the spring, 99.9% .9 of the time starts in a river. Uh, they open up much earlier than the lakes. The moving water obviously uh, melts ice much quicker. And I'm going to say before I moved to North Dakota, 75% of the time I started my walleye fishing season in a pair of waders. Uh, I grew up in a part of Ohio. Yes, Lake Erie was world famous. But even at Lake Erie, you've got four or five big tributaries that the walleye would run up in and spawn. And the best catches were caught standing in water up to your waist, casting bucktail jigs or twister tails. And that's no different than North Dakota, right? Ethan, I know uh, your home of Valley City, even Jamestown, or even go over to Bismarck, North Dakota. Yes, they fish those rivers with boats, but they're very, very accessible to the shorebound angler. And putting a pair of waders on gives you a little bit of an advantage over a guy stuck standing on the bank. So if you're going to do that, even though you're on shore in a pair of waders, there's nothing wrong with throwing a life preserver on. Uh, these new life jackets or PFDs or whatever you want to call them that uh, inflate when they get wet, they don't weigh anything. They're very, very comfortable. I wear them in my boat almost all the time, especially if I'm fishing by myself. Uh, and the comfort level is unbelievable. So there's no excuse not to throw one of those on just in case. Uh, again, river fishing, you've got cold water, you've got current. If you're in a pair of waders and they fill up with water, I'm telling you what, unless you've practiced taking them off when they're full of water, you will not get them off. So you're going to need something to help keep you above water till someone can get there and help you. And the same thing holds true in a boat, Ethan. Um, the day the ice is gone, I'm in my boat on the water. Well, that water's almost the exact same temperature as it was the day before when the ice was on it, right? It doesn't change that fast. So you're out there in 34, 35 degree water. You've got your electric trolling motor running on 40%, 50%. If you fall out, you're going to watch that boat troll away from you as you slowly die a very horrible death. And I hate to be that blunt. I know we're not here to be a Debbie Downer today on your podcast, but Man, that early season and, and again, fast forwarding to late season, very critical. Throw that life jacket on, even if it's a little less comfortable, and make sure no matter what happens, you live to fish another day. It's very, very critical. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're not being a Debbie Downer. I'm trying to keep it as real with, with people, and that's why I have the safety um, portion in here <laughs> because, again, everybody's amped up. We're going fishing. We're, we're taking off. But those little things, and again, why I had it on number one to talk about is because it's one of the probably most overlooked portions of it in the boat. Like you said, wade fishing in the bank, all those kinds of things. So yes, it is very serious. Like you said, just because the, the floating ice is gone doesn't mean the water's any warmer for the, for the most part. And so when, we, when we're transitioning, if we're getting off the bank and we're getting our boats out and we're going out and we're dealing again with cold water. Is there anything mm -hmm. from mechanical pro, uh, tips and tricks or anything like that that you go through your rig to, to prep it to get ready to go in that? And especially when you're pulling that thing out of the water to make sure the next time you go out, it hasn't messed anything up. Yeah, uh, I, 
I'm a big proponent, number one, first couple trips of the year out, test everything at home before you go. Uh, I have a set of earmuffs that I can slip over my outboard motor, that big mercury. Uh, if it's sat all winter long, yeah, it's easy to assume it's going to start, but uh, you don't want to get to the boat ramp and it not start, and then you're that guy blocking the boat ramp. And you don't want to get it out on the, on the water, and it started but kind of ran, but not really, and you take it out anyways, and then it doesn't start and you can't get back. So go through everything at home for take a half a day, uh, if you need new spark plugs, need an oil change, whatever, fuel filters, get all that stuff done. Uh, you just, again, it, it makes your time on the water much more enjoyable. Uh, as far as making sure everything works when it's cold, uh, uh, electric trolling motor is about the only thing that I've ever really had issues with in super, super cold water. And it doesn't hurt to spray a little silicone lubricant on all the moving parts. That way, if water does get on those parts it sheds quickly it doesn't freeze uh, a lot of the trolling motors nowadays uh, i am a mincota guy so you've got the tarovas and the alteras where that shaft has to slide up and down to put the yeah. motor in the cradle i've seen a lot of guys really get into panic mode because they got some ice buildup on that shaft and then couldn't get the trolling motor to lay flat in the cradle so uh, again a nice coating of silicone lubricant before you go out there will let that water shed off and if the ice does swarm, you can just tap it real lightly with your pliers and it will break right off. At the end of the day, uh, I spend a little bit more time at the boat ramp and I think uh, no one really gets too mad at me, but I like to let all the water drain out while I'm on an incline somewhere so I know all the water's out of my bilge. Uh, we have to drain our live wells now at the boat ramps, so you want to let all that water drain out. I flip all my pumps on for a couple seconds just to make sure they get all the water away from the impeller. And I've also been known to unhook my kill switch uh, on my big motor and my kicker motor and just crank them over for about three seconds to get that water pump to circulate and pump all the water out. Because let's face it, there's a good chance a lot of times in the early spring, uh, at nighttime, the temperatures could still get cold enough that things freeze. And you don't want water in places that could cause a lot of damage. So uh, it takes a couple seconds. Uh, it's not going to slow you down that much. You're still going to get home in time to watch the ball game and clean your fish and have a nice dinner. Uh, but yeah, you want to get all that water out of uh, every nook and cranny that you possibly can, just so you don't have problems with ice. And I'm glad you brought that up, um, the big motor side of things, because that's what people, uh, I mean, you think, think about it. Yeah, it's nice out, but again, it's, getting, it's still getting cold at night. And how do you, how do you get that water out of your big motor? And, and I've had, I've done quick starts on my boat too, you know, in the garage, no muffs on just 30 seconds, just to make sure stuff gets blown out and it turns over. And I've got so many people, oh my gosh, you're going to, you're going to ruin this. You're going to ruin that. And so it's kind of <laughs> nice to know that, no, you're, you're not. And it's nice that it's another option you have, like you said, at the boat ramp, blow everything off. I like the silicone idea. I don't get out as much as I'd like to when it comes to super cold water, like you were talking about. But taking care of your trolling motor and stuff like that with the silicone trick, I think is very, very, very useful for somebody that's, you know, wanting to get out there. Because, like, let's face it, from the safety aspect or from taking care of your gear, the cabin fever can take over some of your great choices. <laughs> exactly. And, and exactly. You get out there and, and you, uh, you get out there and catch a bunch of fish and all of a sudden you come back and you're screwed for a month. Right. Well, you don't want to be the guy that can't get that trolling motor up and you're seven miles from a boat ramp and it's getting dark outside and you've got no choice but to idle in and then figure out how you're going to get your boat on your trailer 
with a trolling motor that's down in the water still, right? I've yes. seen it. I've helped guys figure it out. Uh, but yeah, just a couple seconds of prevention will keep you going trouble-free all spring. So we've got our boat or we've got, well, we're starting the river. Like you said, everything opens up further. I don't know how much bank fishing you do, but we'll start say the bank fish or even the bigger rivers like the Missouri river and stuff we have here. We've, we've got stuff figured out either mechanically wise, we got our waders, whatever we're going into, we're going to go chase walleyes here in the springtime. What are you looking for from a river standpoint to go and at least hedge our bet to, right. to maybe intercept them coming to us? Right. And I'm going to say, Ethan, that this, this statement I'm going to make now doesn't really matter if it's a river or a lake. Um, okay. If you're starting immediately after ice out, you need to remind yourself that you're starting immediately after ice out. <laughs> and I know you're going to say, well, <laughs> duh, no kidding. But I watch so many people put their boat in the first day you can, and they go fish like it's June 1st, right? Yeah. Uh, those fish, whether it's a walleye or a bass for that matter, because yep. I watch what you guys do too, uh, they don't go immediately to the spawning grounds just because <laughs> the ice went off the lake. The first week, week and a half that I find myself in a boat, I try to remind myself to fish like I'm ice fishing. I'm just doing it with a longer rod. When you yeah. go to the rivers immediately after ice out, uh, I know everyone loves throwing to the shallow current breaks that are real easy to see and fun to fish, but those walleye are most likely still in the deeper holes in the river until the water warms up a little bit. Same thing with the lake. When you put your boat in the day after the ice goes off, don't run to your favorite four foot deep sandbar that you catch them on in June go out to the last place you caught them ice fishing because they're probably still pretty close to that. Uh, it takes a week or two before the water warms up enough to get those fish really thinking like it's spring. Uh, same with us, right? Just because the snow is gone doesn't mean we still aren't going to have a couple days in the next few weeks that are only 30 degrees. And what do you do when it's 30 degrees? You act the same way you do when it's 30 degrees in January, right? So uh, don't get in a big hurry to accelerate fishing. Remember that the water's still cold and the fish are still going to live like the water is cold. That's that. It's funny, like you said, act like there's no ice. But I mean, just me thinking about some of the times that I've went out bass fishing, it's like, oh, I'm going to two feet of water. I'm going to be flipping because that's what you do in the boat, you know, 90% of the time. Right. So it's same thing with the walleye. So you mentioned about water temperature, give them a week, give them two weeks. What is in your mind? I mean, rivers, obviously with the influx of runoff, which we'll talk about that we don't have really this year. Right. What is a water temperature either or side of the river or lake side of things that are you looking for to where you're going to leave that ice fishing hole where you, people have caught them and they're going to start pushing, maybe not into the spawning area, into the flats, into the heavy current, but what's that water temperature where they're going to, you think they're going to start moving a little bit? Low 40s, you know, 42, 43, somewhere in there. Uh, that's when okay. I start getting excited that the fish are going to move. Uh, not that they're not fun to catch when the water's 38, 39, 40 degrees. They are, but yeah. you're just doing it usually straight up and down with a lead head jig or a jigging spoon or something like that. But once that water gets into the 40s, those fish are in spawn mode. They're moving uh, to the gravelly areas with some current on them, whether it's windblown current or whether it's current in a river. 
Uh, usually it's much shallower because that water's warming up a little bit quicker than the deeper water, obviously. Uh, but that all depends where you're at, right? I've fished bodies of water where walleye spawn as deep as 15, 18, 20 feet. Uh, usually North Dakota, we're looking in that, you know, three, four, five, six feet of water range for spawning grounds. And uh, I'll be the first to admit, I'd much rather cast a jig with a paddle tail or a, a fluke on it uh, up shallow and work it back to the boat than I would uh, sit out in 30 feet of water with a jigging spoon, moving it up and down <laughs> vertically. Uh, I think we all would rather cast and reel and move. That's it. it lets you feel like you're alive again. But um, yeah, usually the, the low 40s. Uh, and again, don't rush things, right? Uh, yeah. You don't, you don't want to get up there shallow and not have fish there because there's nothing worse than fishing and not catching. Yeah, exactly. So we want before I get to my next question, you brought up a great point. I want you to touch on a little bit more of wind current if they're moving up to spawn. Because some of the lakes that we fish in North Dakota, you might not have natural current. It might not be a river system that's dammed up, say Ashtabula, Skakawea, stuff like that. What are you, how, explain the wind current to, to, to people that are listening, even to myself. How does that play into the factor? And if the wind moves, are they moving areas or are they still sitting in those areas if there's no wind? Well, when they're spawning, they're probably not going to move when the wind changes, right? They're going to go lay their eggs where they think uh, they need to. But walleye definitely, in order for their eggs to get fertilized, incubate, and hatch, uh, because they're broadcast spawners, right? The females lay their eggs, then the male uh, milt over the top of the eggs, and that all gets mixed together with current. In a river, it's a no-brainer because the, yep. the river current sweeping over a sandbar, over a clam bed or a rock pile, mixes everything on its own. But in a lake, uh, if they lay their eggs on a bottom type that won't hold the eggs until the wind blows to mix everything together, they have no success. So the first thing the walleye look for are rocky areas, uh, you know, rubble, rock, gravel, so the eggs can fall down in between, the milk can fall down in between. And then uh, hopefully the wind will come from the right direction to hit it to make the spawn a little more successful. But it's not just the wind crashing directly into the waves. Uh, you can have current created anywhere a uh, lake next down, right? You have a uh, mainland and an island and there's a gap in between and the wind blows between there and it makes current. That attracts walleyes in the springtime. Uh, Devil's Lake, North Dakota, which I think a lot of your listeners are familiar with, Ethan, our bridges are world famous for wind driven current right the wind blows from the north for two days and you get current going one way then the wind quits the lake goes dead flat calm and all that water rushes back through the bridge the next day and you have current going the other direction they're lined with riprap those are incredible spring fishing spots because you have everything a walleye needs you've got current to fertilize the eggs you've got the rocks for the eggs to hide in and the current also helps funnel food to those fish so when they're done spawning they don't have to go a long way to eat, right? So uh, it's kind of the, uh, the perfect storm when you can find a windswept point with current wrapping around the backside and making an eddy or the bridges or, again, any neck down areas where wind blowing from the right direction will funnel water through. And uh, I think a lot of people, when they fish natural lakes, they say, oh, there's no current here, so they ignore it. And I'm telling you what, mm -hmm. There's been a lot of days in my lifetime where that windblown current really makes those fish a little easier to find and it saves the day. 
that's why I brought it up is, is just me just thinking here of people listening. I mean, there's only a few lakes in our area, North Dakota, even people in Minnesota, there's, there's more of your, it's like your natural lakes where there's not much what we would consider current. So when you brought up the term wind current, I was very interested because I'm like, how does that have to, most of the time, if you're going fishing anytime, spring, whenever you just go get away from the current cause you're uncomfortable. Well, <laughs> right. you know what I mean? Like it's so, so true. You go to devil's Lake. Mm-hmm. I've been there a few times and all of a sudden everybody's on the slick calm bank because they don't have to deal with it but in the springtime you're saying natural lakes or whatever look for that windblown current if there's not a natural thing moving through and i think as as somebody listening they're going ah maybe i shouldn't i should go fish that bottleneck or something even when it's you know blowing 15 miles an hour and it's uncomfortable but maybe the fishing will be better right well i'd rather be uncomfortable catching fish than nice and warm and not catching anything Very, very, very true. And obviously, uh, we talked about rivers and current. Um, for me, when I started off during the year, I start off mostly in the rivers, like you were saying. Um, but I'm, I'm looking at right away in the current. It's a little bit harder to access from the shore, say, your deeper holes and stuff like that mm-hmm. in, a, in a river flowing. So what I go to is basically the same thing you're going to in the bridges, say, like you mentioned, Devil's Lake. I'm going to the dams. The lower head dams, the bigger dams, even natural rock dams coming across. Again, you're getting that mixture of of fish coming through and stuff like that. So any tiny dam, I've gone to some of the tiniest dams on the Cheyenne River, the Red River. Don't don't tell anybody about the Cheyenne River. Don't do that. (laughs) Well, it doesn't matter. I mean, go all the way north, all the way south. Oh, Jesus, it's any of those rivers, but I fish some of the tiniest, like go on Google Earth, you find a tiny dam, right. you find a bridge, and you go fish there, there's nobody there because it's overlooked, and you will just catch a ton of fish, and so exactly. everybody flows to the visual current, like you said, it's easy to cast to, it's easy to fish, but the wind current is something, I mean, I, I think that's something that everybody's going, aha, listening, listen mm-hmm. to this, or, or watching it. Right, so yeah, those we little, talked about- those- those little low head dams, those little low head dams on the small rivers, Ethan, are so overlooked in North Dakota. Uh, the Cheyenne River obviously doesn't go too far from my home. And mm-hmm. uh, it's in about a week or so, it's time to start driving by it about once every three days until it opens up. And you might fish there six days in a row and not catch a fish. But yeah. the seventh day when the fish finally get to that dam, you'll catch five fish and five casts and go home. It's absolutely amazing. So, Or you uh, won't get a parking spot exactly you got it, you got it. <laughs> so we talked about them moving up in lakes and rivers in that low 40 something like that what time of the year are you water temp wise are you looking for them to be up spawning up in the real real shallow stuff is there certain water temperature that really piques your interest yeah like i said the mid 40 45 46 uh they're going to be up shallow they're going to be doing their thing uh usually in the rivers that can be a little earlier they warm up a little quicker because of the runoff yeah. they get uh you know you talk about bismarck on the missouri i'm going to say most walleye spawning is in april uh, but when you look at devil's lake lake skakawea the bigger bodies of water the the reservoirs jamestown ashibula that spawning usually probably doesn't happen until the first week in May. Uh, So we've got a nice long spawning season when you think about it that way in North Dakota, Mm -hmm. because you can go get them in the rivers first and then go to your favorite lake later uh, and stretch that out. Uh, You know, people love fishing the spawn. Uh, I don't know why. I really don't think it's that much better than any other time of the year. 
one nice thing about it is the fish are congregated, right? You, yeah. you go along yep. the face of a dam where all the riprap is and 80% of the walleye in the Jamestown Reservoir are in a three mile stretch of the reservoir. So it's a little easier to find the fish, but quite honestly, I don't think they bite all that well when they're spawning. Uh, they bite really well immediately after they spawn, but during the spawn, they're, they're sometimes can be a little finicky, right? And that's one of the wives tales that I've always fought for years and years and years, people say, oh, well, after the spawn, you have to let them recover. It takes a while before they eat again. And, and uh, I'm sitting there thinking, no, that's, that's probably not really how it works. Uh, <laughs> when I exert myself physically, uh, I go eat right away because I get hungry. And yep. when walleyes are exerting that much energy, uh, much like white-tailed deer after the rut, uh, when the rut is over, those big bucks don't go lay down for seven days before they eat again. They go directly to a food source, right? And the yep. same thing holds true for walleye. The reason people get frustrated fishing post-spawn is because, like I said, you just had two or three weeks where 80% of the walleye in a system were in one spot, and all of a sudden they dissip dissipate, right? So <laughs> you took 80% of the fish that were right here and then spread them out over this far and now you can't find a cluster of fish and it gets frustrated they're actually easier to catch post spawn they're harder to find so yes. people confuse that with bad fishing uh, and we all love to have an excuse right it's easier oh, yeah. to admit that the walleye are in post spawn doldrums than it is to admit i couldn't find a fish to catch right so we make excuses we blame it on mother nature but I'd much rather fish the week after the spawn than the week in the middle of the spawn because they're eating again when the spawn is over. Yeah, and I think a lot of it has to do with just fishing a lot from shore over many, many years. A lot, like I'm glad you said it because that's kind of the same theory I was under is people say, oh, you can't catch them, they're post-spawn. Oh, they, they just wired their mouth shuts for three or four days <laughs> until they recover kind of thing. Or a lot of them, like I said, it, most of the time the fish that I'm catching are in times of the day that it's like they know the pressure's there. I mean, they fish have been coming to the same ground. So I I don't know how to explain this, but they're, the, the bite isn't that great. I mean, yes, maybe some males that you that are most of the time they're just defending a big female that your jig went by at all. But see, a lot of people snag are having snagged fish either in the back, the tail, they feel the fish are set up so easy in current you can bring it crossways across it. And that's the, the sucky part about fishing this time of year. If somebody, you know, doesn't have the morals for it or whatever, they are snagging a lot of fish. They're not, they're not biting it. And it's, it's tough to see, you know, a lot of people doing that. So I'm glad you said it too, because that's kind of the same assumption I was under is they don't really bite that great, but they are just, you know, I mean, just stacked. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, so, uh, uh, the week after the spawn, uh, when those fish leave the spawning areas and they, they usually head to the first major flat. And that's okay. the case, whether a lake or a river. So say, uh, say they're spawning on a, on a gravel bar in the river, but it's near a steep drop off. They're going to leave there. Uh, the Missouri river is a classic example, right? When they're done spawning, where's everybody go? They go to the big flats right behind the sandbar with reduced current. And yep. Those are the fish that are eating. They like those big flats because they warm up quicker, right? Those okay. big shallow flat areas warm up quicker. The warmer water attracts the bait fish and the bait fish attract the walleye. 
And it takes a couple weeks before those walleyes actually all find the food at the same time and create a school of fish again, right? They, they kind of all take off looking for their own food source and five or six fish find a food source over here and eight or 10 fish over there. And eventually all that food congregates in one area again. And then you have all the walleye congregating where the food is. Uh, Ethan, I don't really consider walleye a schooling fish. I know a lot of people think they school. I mm -hmm. like to visualize walleye as more of wolf packs, right? Okay. There might be six, eight, 10, maybe 20 or 30 fish in an area, but I don't consider them a schooling fish like bluegills or perch, right? Uh, when you have a school of perch, if one perch turns left, the whole school turns left, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Walleye don't, walleye don't live that way. Uh, but they end up in the same areas because they're all looking for the same food source, if that makes sense. Yeah. And everybody assumes that since they're there together, it's a school, you know, right. it, it's, it, yeah, that makes, that totally makes sense. So we, I want to talk about the spawn just a little bit. Um, we kind of brushed over it. I mean, but I think it's, it's a great time to catch fish. It's a great time to be fishing. You one, you just got to know your regulations in the state, wherever you're listening to this, make sure you're equivalent to it. And I mean, yes, is what do you have? I want to talk about this just briefly. We can do an episode on it later. Is there a limit size length that you kind of keep yourself during that time of year? Yeah, I, Ethan, I don't keep a walleye over 20 inches long unless it's hooked so badly that I don't believe it's going to swim away. I don't okay. care what the state regulation is. Uh, yep. That's just a personal thing. And that's a personal thing for inland waters, right? Uh, Devil's Lake, Lakes Kakawea, go to Minnesota, some of their inland lakes. Obviously, some states have more restrictive rules than that. Now, mm -hmm. if you're going to Lake Michigan or Lake Erie or Lake Superior, uh, the Great Lakes, the Columbia River out west, some places like that, obviously, the rules change a little bit there. Uh, you know, the game and fish department in Ohio says more walleye die of old age than ever get caught. If that's the case, you're not hurting anything by keeping a 24 inch or 25 inch fish, right? Yeah. Uh, they do it all the time and the lake is very healthy. But when I'm fishing Devil's Lake, the Cheyenne River, if I would come fish with you uh, down in, in Valley City, I would not expect to keep a 25 inch fish ever yeah. ever yeah. i don't care if it's mm -hmm. spawning or not spawning i i just believe that that's a good fish to throw back um but yeah you want to play by the rules uh you're spot on uh i've witnessed a lot of grotesque things in the springtime uh yeah. you watch a guy throw a lead head jig out and snap it three feet at a time and yeah. tell me he's not trying to intentionally snag a fish uh yep. i'm not saying that fish don't react to snap jigging but when you're casting to a hole that's 10 feet by 10 feet and you can see their dorsal fins sticking out of the water and you're ripping your jig three feet at a time, it's pretty obvious what you're trying to do. Uh, yeah. So yeah. play it straight, right? You'll catch your fair share. If you hook one in the back or in the side, throw it back. Uh, I don't know. I guess if you're absolutely starving, destitute for food, I'm not going to tell you don't feed your family, but I would say most guys that can afford uh, a rod and a reel and, uh, and jigs and waders probably aren't fishing for dinner. Right. Yeah. So let's, let's just protect the resource and 
they are stacked up, man. They're in the spawn. They're, like I said, there's a lot of places you can go and literally watch roll, walleyes roll on their side up yep. on the bank in six inches of water. It's really fun to watch, but let them do their thing and go fish somewhere else. So moon phases, I had that circle on my sheet. Do you th- how do you think the walleye spawn or pre-spawn, post-spawn spawn, how does that relate around the moon phases? Because there's a lot of things out there talking about, well, this, that's why they, I mean, it's another excuse again. But it's oh they spawned out blah 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 moon phases what do you what do you got to think say or what's your opinion on the moon phases this so yeah over the years Ethan I've talked to a lot of game and fish biologists and uh, you get a lot of uh, mixed reviews I guess is the way I would mm-hmm. put it uh, there's no doubt about it that water temperature is fairly important to the survival of the species and they yep. know that right so. You don't want walleye spawning in 32 degree water and you don't want walleye spawning in 60 degree water. There's a range where the eggs will do better and the walleye want to spawn in that temperature range. But there's also other things that are equally important and length of day is one of those things. Um, We have a calendar, so I can look at the calendar and say that it's May 24th, that's my birthday yippee let's go celebrate i don't need to look up at the sun and say we had you know 16 hours and 33 minutes of daylight today so that means it was may 24th yep while i don't have a calendar they go by the length of day just like every other creature on earth than man that doesn't have a calendar and when the length of day is right they will lay their eggs because the the length of day tells them if I lay my eggs now, those eggs incubate for this long, the, the fish hatch into fry, grow into adult fish, and by this time in the fall, they will be big enough to survive winter, right? Yes. So yes, water temperature is important, but they have to have those eggs laid by a certain day or those yearlings will not be strong enough to survive winter. Then you throw the moon phase in there. I I firmly believe that when the moon phase comes and it matches the length of day and the water temperature is halfway close to what it needs to be, that's when it all happens. Most of the time, again, in a river, that's gonna be the full moon in April, and in a lake, it's gonna be the full moon in May. That's, That's usually how it works. Uh, and that is the only time of the year that I give a rip about the full moon. Because <laughs> the rest well, makes of the sense. year, yeah, the rest yeah. of the year, I just go fishing. If it's a full moon, great. If it's not a full moon, oh, well, uh, I don't really care about the full moon. But man, during spawning season, that's a very, very good indicator that the fish are doing their thing. And you can start planning the rest of your season based on the fact that the fish have spawned now and they're going to start looking for food and doing their other things in life. Yeah, because it's this time of year is when the articles come out, even the bass fishing articles, both sides, everybody's coming out. It's moon, it's lunar, get your charts out, get the moon app, all this stuff. So I want to you know, hear what your thoughts right. were on that. Because like you said, it for that small window or lengthier window, whatever we have, if you're fishing lake or river, it is important. But after that, it's kind of, you know, you just kind of go fishing is, is right. exactly what you what you said there. Yeah. If I had a job, Ethan, where I could sit down and pick my vacation days only around the full moon or the new moon, I would probably do that. But I don't get that choice, right? Uh, If there's a tournament 
on the 13th of June, whether there's a full moon or not, you still go fish the tournament and you figure it out. So yeah, uh, I, yeah, so I try not to rely on catching fish based on the moon. You just go look at the circumstances and try to get them to bite. That's all you can do. Exactly. So we're, we're talking about, you had mentioned something briefly. I want to get in. It's a, it's a classic um, topic to talk about. I mean, we got to mix in some of the non-classic topics with the classic <laughs> topics, but you're, we're going off to pre-spawn. You had mentioned something very briefly. Pre-spawn, we're fishing where they were, just where the ice was. Give me two or three techniques or baits that you're using to catch fish right away. Well, I'm going to put a jigging spoon on, maybe a blade bait, something like that. Okay. Uh, those work really, really well. Uh, blade baits are kind of that lost art. Oh, right? yeah. Uh, you got jigging wraps and shiver minnows and moon eye this and all these new vertical glide baits that guys are using. They work great, too. But, man, that good old-fashioned head and sonar, that good old brass blade bait that you can make in your garage for about a buck if you have the mm -hmm. lead mold and the hooks uh, those are one of my favorite early spring baits i absolute love fishing those you can fish them aggressively you can fish them real subtly uh, anywhere in between they, they get down to the depths really fast they work good in a lake or in a river both uh, yeah. so they're yeah. just a great early season bait and then even on some bodies of water where those fish will start to move up uh, a little, or they, or they don't winter quite as deep. Uh, and I'm thinking some of our shallower reservoirs and lakes, maybe not Devil's Lake and Sakakawea, but man, yeah. nothing, nothing beats a suspending jerk bait early spring, right? Uh, same as bass fishing, right? You, yep. I know you throw one all the time in cold water bass fishing, and I'm becoming a really, really big fan of uh, suspending jerk baits for cold water walleyes as well. Uh, you again let them sit there 10, 15, 20 seconds and they don't move and give it a little twitch. And that walleye that was watching it from six feet away just smashes it, right? Uh, that's really, really exciting. They're very, very effective in the cold water period. And I don't go fishing early in the spring without them anymore. Yeah, it's, it's something that I've had to learn because most of the time, if I go fishing in Minnesota, it doesn't open, you know, May, the, the jerkbait may play, it may not play. I fished it a lot. Um, like you said, I've had times where the shallower lakes in Minnesota bass fishing, they'll drop surface temple, drop 10 degrees overnight for a big cold front and you right. can't, can't get bit on anything. So I've had to learn to use them, but now more and more I'm trying to go out and maybe not walleye fish as much in the spring, but take the boat on, try and target cold water bass just because I don't get to do it a lot here. Um, the jerk bait has become more important to me. It's been something I've been struggling with because I've used a lot of bottom baits. I'm a bottom dragger kind of guy <laughs> or something moving a little bit faster. And I will throw a tube through an area. I'll catch fish. Okay. The fish are here. Let's get confidence, throw a jerk bait out. And I cannot catch one, maybe one where I could catch three for three on, on a tube or something like that. So I'm glad you said it because it's something that I'm, people may not think about even in some of our smaller quote-unquote slough lakes that have a great population of walleyes most of the time you're flick you know like you said you're throwing your jig in plastic when they're pushing the bank go off a little bit deeper and throw those jerk baits and suspend them the rule of thumb was when the jerk bait became popular down lake of the ozarks the old timers would be out there they throw it out cast it out get it down to depth twitch it twice they'd put a cigarette in their mouth light it smoke the cigarette <laughs> flick it and do another jerk and that when it's super super cold that was the rule of thumb and, you know, 10, 15 seconds in between, which could drive somebody crazy. But if you're having success on it, you learn to do it. Like what you're saying, you, you'll get confidence and you'll do it. Right. It takes a little bit of patience, but uh, it's well worth the effort. 
well worth the effort. So when you're fishing your, your blade baits, I want to go to that real quick. Are you casting them or are you finding fish on your graph and are you dropping them down and video game fishing them? Yes. Both. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. If I mark fish, obviously I'm going to drop them down and video game fish them. Uh, that's, yep. that's a lot of fun. The blade bait shows up really, really well on your, on your sonar. But yep. no, I'm casting those around. I'm fishing the deep drops, the deep edges. Uh, and that's okay. what's great about a blade bait, right? I'm throwing a half an ounce a lot of times, yeah. uh, maybe even three quarters, depending on how deep I want to fish. And you give them a little lift and let them drop. And give them, I, I might only lift them to feel that blade shimmy three or four times, right? I'm not, I'm not ripping them like I would in July or August. I lift yeah. them up. I feel two or three, maybe four wiggles. And I just let that blade work its way down that drop off. And usually they hit it right at the top of the drop or right at the bottom. Uh, but every now and again, they're part way up, right? But yeah. again, it's a heavy bait. You can cast it a mile. You can fish very deep with it if you want to. Uh, and again, it's a look that those fish aren't seeing a lot right now. And they've become very, very effective again. Yep. Very Fishing effective. is cyclical. And everything's going to come around at, at some point. The evolution of the spinnerbait and the chatterbait. I mean, it's it's definitely something that'll that'll come back around. So don't forget about those older techniques. So moving up into the spawn, um, you know, what are what are you throwing? You had mentioned it quickly before. What's a couple of things that you're going to throw, no matter oh, yeah. what? Once once the fish crash to the bank, uh, again, the the jerk bait will still be effective until that water gets into the lower 50s. Uh, so all the way through the 40 degree range into the 50s, uh, and some days even higher than that. Uh, but yeah. once they move to the bank, I'm throwing plastic, right? Uh, probably a fluke tail, maybe a paddle tail of some kind. Uh, I'm a big swimmer guy, right? Whether it's a strike king rage swimmer or a big bite uh, pro swimmer, the Kytex, mm -hmm. anything like that I love. Uh, or, the, or like I said, the flukes, the zoom flukes, the, the Berkeley power minnows, stuff like that. If the water gets a little dirty and they can't see it so well, I'll throw some hair on with it. I'll take a nice bucktail jig and put a fluke on it or put okay. a, a paddle bait on the bucktail jig. And yeah. the only reason I'm putting the bucktail on is to make a little bit bigger profile so the fish can find it in dirtier water. And let's face it, in the springtime, we end up fishing a lot of cold, dirty water, right? Uh, yep. We usually have some runoff, typically a little bit more rain. Uh, if the wind blows at all, it seems like early in the spring, that water gets dirty much faster than it does in the summer. I don't know why, but it just seems that way. So yeah. I've got a lot of hair jigs in my boat as well. But uh, yeah, I'm throwing a jig with some kind of trailer on it, probably from the spawn until, man, I don't know. End you of might May, not have to put it down. Probably. Right. So well, might, some yeah, years you might not you have to. Right. Yeah. Some years you don't. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I got this highlighted because I know also you you have been running a Lund bass boat for the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. Yep. And we have mentioned this before. How shallow is too shallow really to fish for these walleyes during this time of year? There, you can't get too shallow. You can't. Uh, Devil's Lake. I've caught walleye where you set the hook and their back rolls out of the water. Right. I mean, those fish are literally. <laughs> You're throwing, well, I've caught fish where I've thrown my jig on shore and drug it into the lake. And on the second hop, you get a bite. So you tell me how deep are they in yeah. that? I mean, knee deep is pretty common anymore to be fishing uh, yeah. in the right conditions, right? Now, when the water's crystal clear, 
and you can see those fish 30 yards ahead of your boat, you're probably not going to catch a lot in two feet of water. But yep. if the visibility says that you can sneak up on them, oh, Ethan, it's, it's not uncommon to catch them in six inches, 10 inches of water. It really isn't. It really isn't. So there is no such thing as too shallow. None at all. And that's, that's what I, I wanted you to tell everybody. Cause I remember you telling me and it's like, you said, Oh, it's just, it's bass fishing for walleyes. And I was like, yeah. I mean, I believe it. Why wouldn't they be up there? Why wouldn't they be yeah. either spawning or post spawn pushing bait? Like you said, if they find the bait, why wouldn't they be there? And again, everybody thinks just like when the ice comes off, they go to the bank or when they, after they spawn, they get locked jaw. Nobody thinks to go real shallow, right. quote unquote, bass fishing for, for walleyes. So here's, here's how I determine how shallow I should be fishing. If okay. I launch my boat and I look down on the boat ramp and I see a school of bait and in eight inches of water, guess where the walleyes are going to be feeding? Eight inches of water. Right. How many times, especially in the spring, when you launch your boat, you look down over the side of the boat ramp and there's a school of minnows swimming around. It happens mm -hmm. a lot, right? It happens a lot in the springtime. If I see bait that shallow, then you better believe I'm going to fish that shallow because the walleye eat that bait. That's what they're going to feed on. And they're going to go wherever they have to go to get a meal. Just like you or I, Ethan, if I haven't yep. eaten for a week and somebody puts a ribeye steak on the other side of a blacktop parking lot that's 115 degrees in August and I don't have <laughs> shoes on, I'm still going to walk across that parking lot to get that steak if I'm hungry yep. enough, right? So those fish will go somewhere that they are not the most comfortable being if that's where the meal is. So yes. we have to get in our head, quit thinking about fish's comfort and start thinking about what they eat because that's where yeah, you got to go catch them. Yeah, it's more of a realistic thing. Everybody, the classic, even from when you're growing up fishing, they push the bank and what do you think they do? They push off and leave. You think they're gone. They'd shut their mouths off. There's no point in launching the boat. But in reality, like you said, and I think you've maybe mentioned this before and you've said it here, that post-spawn after they get done is some of the most combative, almost bass fishing, heavier line combat walleye fishing. And that's something that one, a lot of people don't do. And two, it's, it's, we got to go out and we got to get a jig in the middle and we got to wait for them to, to get hungry right. again. Or we got to pull our Lindia rig round in 12 feet of water, blah, blah, yep. blah, which, which all yeah. works. Don't, don't get me wrong. Those are all great it ways does. to catch fish, but Man, I, I, it's, a, it's a short window some years, right? Sometimes yeah. we only get to fish that skinny water for two weeks, maybe three, because we get a hot summer and the water warms up and the weeds grow really quick. And once the weeds grow in two feet of water, it pushes the walleye off to the edge of the weeds instead of up shallow. And so I like to take advantage of it, right? And if you look at my guide calendar for Devil's Lake, a lot of other people like to take advantage of it too, because <laughs> those are the first three to four weeks of my season that book solid. People yep. love coming to Devil's Lake to cast jigs and cast crankbaits and fish those suspending jerk baits up in two and three feet of water because they don't think they can do it other places. Well, yes, I'm not going to tell them don't come to Devil's Lake, but you, you can do it on Malax, You can do it on Leech, Winnie, Lake of the Woods. I've caught them in the Jamestown Reservoir shallow. I've caught them in Lake Ashtabula shallow. You go to yep. the Missouri River and throw jigs behind sandbars in eight inches of water and catch them there. I mean, the, yeah. the state yeah. record, right, Ethan? That's big news, spring walleye fishing while we're on it. The state yeah. record was just broken last week unofficially, but it's going to be official yep. uh, by a guy trolling crankbaits in three feet of water. So 
don't tell me that those fish aren't up there. They're up there. And there's a lot of them up there that not a lot of people fish for. Yeah. What it come across at 16.39 pounds. Like you said, yeah. unofficially the game and fish haven't verified it yet, but there's a lot of pictures floating around and, and stuff like that. So again, don't think it's too shallow. And I think that's another, um, another thing that people can definitely look at and, and stuff like that. And we're going to mention, so we're going to go, we're going to keep going on our progression here and we move off weeds come up. We talked about jigs and stuff like that right away in your post spawn area. Are you still throwing jigs or when do you really crank, get that crankbait out to, to target these spring fish? Yeah. So when the weeds start popping up off the bottom, that's when I like to go to a crankbait. It's not that the jigs don't still work, Ethan, and I will still have, Oh, I'll, I'll have a, a 3.8, pro swimmer on a quarter ounce jig on the deck of my boat every day all summer long that yeah. that bait is money uh it's especially a white one i can catch fish any body of water coast to coast on that rig right so i always have one ready but when i don't know for sure where the weeds are yet or the conditions make it tough to feel the tops of the weeds with the jig a crankbait becomes a really good bet so now we're talking middle to late May, early June, the weeds are starting to grow. They're not all the way to the surface. Pick your favorite crankbait, throw it out there. If it gets weeds, pick the next shallowest diving version of the same crankbait, throw it out there until you don't get weeds, and then fish with that crankbait the rest of the day because you're going to fish right over the weed tops uh, and not have to feel like you would a jig to keep your bait clean. And uh, once those weeds start growing, now we're talking water temperatures, mid fifties, low sixties, and those walleyes are in chase mode now and they'll yep. just crush a flicker shad or a shad wrap or a Salmo Hornet, um, Rapala Escos, uh, all those kind of baits, right? Wally divers, any, anything you have that, that will dive till right above the weed tops and uh, just cruise the same shorelines you were before rapid fire right over the weeds and, let them come up out of the weeds and crack it for you. And again, the jig will work if the conditions are right and I can feel my jig uh, the way I want to, I'll cast a jig over the weeds. But if you have any wind at all, you get a big bow in your line, it's hard to feel yeah. if your jig's in the grass and the crankbait just works so much easier. It's so much more efficient. You make it sound so easy. It can be. <laughs> <laughs> it can be. When it, yeah. when it works, the works the right way, you ask yourself, why don't I do this all the time? Right. So, um, yeah, uh, it's just a lot to think about. Right. Uh, one of my advantages, Ethan, is I am out there, you know, I fish devil's Lake well over a hundred days a year. I yep. fish walleyes out of my boat almost 200 days a year. Uh, when, when I'm building, when I built my shop and I was trying to cut corners and I ran into an interesting situation, I didn't figure it out very easily because I don't, do carpentry work every day. But yep. when I run into a situation fishing, because I do it a lot, you're, you figure it out a little bit quicker. So, you know, I, I try to remind people of that all the time. Yes, you guys love to fish as much as I do, but you don't have a rod and reel in your hand as many days as I do. And sometimes you have to think about it a little bit longer. That's okay because I could not go do anybody else's job as well as they do their job. Uh, so yep. yeah, don't get frustrated. Think through it. Look at the situation. And again, if you get weeds on your crankbait, six, seven, eight casts before you change, that's not a big deal. It's not the end of the world. Uh, but don't do it all day, right? Don't keep dragging weeds in for yeah. eight hours because that's not effective. 
And I like the way you put it is like you said, obviously you're on the water more than most of us are and stuff like that. But I think with all the information available, we as fishermen, fisherwomen, we overthink things way too much. And I like oh, yeah. the way some, yeah, some of the instances that you've said tonight is that realistically, if you think about it, it's, it's, it's difficult if you can adjust with things, but it's really, we overthink it way too much. Like you said, grab your favorite. When you said that, I, I kind of laugh and say, grab your favorite crankbait. I mean, you didn't give us a brand, a color, a size and all this stuff where if you read a form or you watch a YouTube video, that's where everybody wanted a marketing thing to sell, sell them, catch fishermen and fisherwomen instead of catching fish. But two, it's nice to see somebody with your background and fishing at the level that you do that realistically it's not that hard in some instances and we don't have to overthink it as much. Right. Yeah. I don't, I don't have a favorite brand anymore. Right. Yeah. Uh, Flicker shads catch a lot of fish. Shad wraps catch a lot of fish. Salmo hornets catch a lot of fish. Uh, one thing, Ethan, I think, and this kind of gets off topic a little bit, but I think fishermen That's go fine. through a, prog we go through a progression, right? When you first start out, you don't have much tackle. Yep. It's expensive, right? Uh, you're probably, kind of in that boat right now, right? You probably wish you had <laughs> three times the jigs that you have, right? Yeah. So you start out without much tackle and you become a, a person obsessed with gaining more tackle. Then you get all this tackle in your boat and one day you wake up and you realize, holy cow, I have so much tackle, I don't even know what to use anymore. So yep. then you slowly start getting rid of tackle till all you have left is what you have confidence in. And I'm finally getting to that stage in my career. I carry less and less tackle every year now because, quite frankly, I've got four or five lures that I know are going to catch a fish if I put them on. Why yeah. carry the other 4,000 that I have to trip over, spill, get water in the boxes, change rusty hooks? I take the five or six boxes of the lures that I know are going to work, that I've gained confidence in, and I just fish them till the paint wears off. And uh, usually the results are better than if I'm changing crankbaits all day long because I'm not sure which one I want to use. Yeah. Take, take notes there, ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening and watching. So, like I said, that progression is definitely where I'm at. I, I, there is just this week, I've got a Snapchat or I've seen somebody on Instagram, they fish from their kayak or they shore fish or they don't have a boat. And I've, I've talked to them, some people I know, they have more tackle than I do. Honestly, hands down, have more tackle boxes than I do than I fit in my in my bass boat. And I'm like, I mean, one, I can't afford all that just yet. But two, it's like I struggle to where if I'm going to fish a tournament, if I don't take something I'm confident in, I can't. I've I've had somebody told me this a while ago. Don't learn how to fish a certain technique during a tournament. Don't that you've got it. You've got to use your 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 fun fishing time to do that. And obviously you would attest to that too. Right. So it's like a lot of people will do the tackle thing. Like you said, we'll run to like, I'm going getting ready to take off to Smith Lake in Alabama. They'll look up in the top 10 baits have been in the spring in Smith Lake and they'll buy them. If I right. was to grab, geez, I don't know if I was to grab a, a mega bass vision, One Ten crank, uh, jerk bait and take that down there and buy six, 10 of them at 15, 20 bucks a piece, go down there. Cause that's what they caught them on. I'm not real confident with a jerk bait yet. So that right. would be stupid of me to right. go to go do that. So fish right. your confidence and slowly progress your way to get to get better, and then you don't have as much tackle. So, right. so here's here's an interesting stat since we're talking about this, and we're gonna it it's not a walleye stat, but it definitely relates to what we're talking about. I read yep. a lot about every kind of fishing possible. 
And there was an article published about two months ago about major league fishing and their first year last year. Ninety mm percent -hmm. uh, of all the bass caught were caught on four different presentations and only three colors. <laughs> they were caught on a chatterbait, yep, a stick worm like a cinco, yep, or a square bill or a Ned rig. Those were yeah. the four baits, and the three colors were green pumpkin, white, and black and blue. 90% of the bass were caught on a combination of those four lures and those three colors. And you know why, Ethan? It's because those are colors and presentations that those guys know work no matter where they're at. Whether I'm in Florida, Alabama, New York, or North Carolina, you can throw those baits and catch a bass. And you can throw yes. those colors and catch a bass. And walleye fishing is pretty much the same way, right? You give me a shad imitating crankbait, you give me a bottom bouncer and a spinner rig, and you give me a lead head jig and a swim bait, and I can go to any body of water and I'm going to catch a walleye if there's one there, right? Yes. I don't, I don't need 13,000 different shapes and sizes and profiles. Give me one of those three, I'll catch a fish if there's one there, right? Yes. So, yeah, it doesn't have to be as complicated. Now, is it as much fun going to Shields and only buy three colors? No, it's not that much fun. We, we, we all like going to the tackle store and yes. getting overwhelmed. It's kind of fun, right? It, yep. it, I think the, the word is endorphins, right? Is it gets the endorphins go. going in your brain when you see all those colors and choices and it kind of, you know, you get a little fishing high by staring at all those lures at the bait shop. And I get that, but when it comes down to catching fish, don't overthink it, right? Just yes. put it out there, put it in front of the fish, do the best you can to get them to eat it. That's, I, I think that's great. That's a great point, especially from someone that does it at a level that you are. Um, I think we covered a lot of the stuff that I had written down for springtime walleyes. I do have three quick questions for you. And then, All righty. Uh, and then we're going to get in uh, just briefly. We're going to talk about how you and I met at the very end to kind of um, collapse it off because I've I've dropped your name and a lot of stuff that we've done on social media just for the fact of 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 how we got started. So um, again, I probably know this this answer. You probably mentioned it already, but I had it written down before the show. Uh, you have to fish the rest of your life with one rod, one rod and reel combo, and one um, bait. What are what are you using? What are you fishing walleyes for? So uh, I would have a seven foot medium power fast action spinning rod. Mm -hmm. uh, I would have a size three thousand reel. Yep. It would be spooled up with a 10-pound super braid of some kind, right? Yep. Uh, and again, I'm intentionally not mentioning brand names because I don't, I don't have a sponsor. So yep, understand. Whichever, <laughs> one, whichever one you like, right? Yep. Uh, as long as you buy it at a Shield store, I don't care what brand it is. Right? You don't That's care. All I say, right? <laughs> so, uh, and I would probably have a, a six or eight-foot fluorocarbon leader on it. Uh, I would tie on the end of that a quarter ounce jig and I would have a three and a half inch white plastic swim bait. Uh, like I said, I love the paddle tail. You can fish it fast. You can fish it slow. You can fish it vertical. You can drag it. You control it. I mean, you can do anything you want with that bait and it's going to catch walleye. So if I had just one rod and reel, one setup, one lure, that would be what I would take everywhere I go. Yeah, and I, I guess I didn't even have to say I've I've told people the same thing too. It doesn't even have to be walleyes; it could be all species. When we filmed that oh, yeah. um, uh, f TV show on Lake Sakakawea a couple of years ago, I mean, how many species? There's yeah, I think you got three or four species just in one 
uh, cut bank there just with the right. same the same setup. So exactly. definitely very, very versatile. And like, again, what we just got done talking about, you don't have to over, overthink it. Right. So what is the weirdest fish that you've caught during a tournament? Probably a bycatch or something like that. But if you could think back, what's the weirdest fish you caught during a tournament? Oh, the weirdest one and, and the most exciting one all at the same time. I was fishing a tournament in the, the Wolf River, which feeds Lake Winnebago in Wisconsin. I got a 72-inch sturgeon that oh. actually bit my jig in his mouth. It was not snagged. It was hooked in the mouth. Uh, those are prehistoric dinosaurs. I was so far out of the running that I actually fought the fish on six pound fire line and a six foot vertical jigging rod till I landed it. Um, <laughs> I was not in a pack of boats anywhere. That's why I wasn't in the money anywhere. Yeah. I didn't find the right fish. And uh, the co-angler with me said, why are you fighting that fish? And I said, dude, this is the biggest fish I might ever catch in my life. And yeah. I'm in 118th place right now. So it doesn't really matter if I waste an hour catching this fish. And uh, we pulled it up next to the side of the boat in Wisconsin. You're not allowed to lift a sturgeon out of the water. It's illegal. Okay. So he yep. held the tail at the back of the boat and I held its head and I reached over with a magic marker and put a line on my boat so I could measure it. That's how I know it was 72 inches long. When I got back to shore, I measured, uh, but that was the, that was the coolest thing that I ever caught on purpose. Right. I've snagged some interesting fish in the back, right. Uh, I've reeled a few paddlefish in in Lake Skakawea that the hook was in the dorsal fin or something. Mm -hmm. But but that sturgeon, the jig was in its mouth. It ate my jig, caught it legit. That was pretty cool. And that was going to be my next follow-up question is if most guys, oh, see what it is, you know, pulled the hook out like we're in a tournament. But, yeah, it's kind of a double-edged sword there. You're so far back, but you were able to actually, you know, right. quote-unquote land the fish on the side of the boat exactly. and, and do yeah. that. It was so, fun. It was fun. Yeah, I – I couldn't imagine. Last last one we got here. Besides fishing, what is something that you love to do? I mean, I know you fish, like you said, over two hundred days. What are you? I go well, yeah, fishing. fish. But <laughs> I go fishing. But what, I go fishing. What's something? Yeah. What's something you no, do? I go fishing, Ethan. I go. Fishing. I know. You know. I know. But what's you know something that. outside you, of that? You know, that's the answer. I go fishing. We know each other well enough. You know, I go fishing, right? I was invited pheasant hunting twenty five times this fall, and every time I thought I was going to be able to go, I found something to do that had more to do with fishing than hunting. Uh, yeah. I, I, over the years, right. Yeah. I've, I've bow hunted. I've, I've had a stretch mm -hmm. in my lifetime where uh, sitting in a tree was really fun. Uh, I got over it relatively quickly. <laughs> I did yeah. that for about eight or 10 years, pretty hard. Uh, I really enjoy a pickup game of basketball still every now and again, but I turned 50 this last year and uh, the body doesn't love it as much as the mind does anymore. Uh, this year, obviously with COVID, we didn't get in a gym and I didn't get to play much. I really hope that uh, I didn't let myself go bad enough that I'm done playing basketball, yep. but it's, it's coming with time, right? You can't play that game forever, but no, seriously, Ethan, uh, if you wrote 10 things on a sheet of paper of what would Johnny like to do today, and fishing was on that list. I wouldn't even read the other nine. Uh, it's yeah. what I live for. Uh, I'll guide all day, come home, eat a sandwich, grab my grandkids and go fishing some more. Right. I'll, awesome. uh, I'll go to a tournament. I'll deadhead at home, you know, 1200 miles from Lake Erie to Devil's Lake and, and literally pull in my driveway at three o'clock in the afternoon and look out on the bay and say, holy cow, it looks nice. Let's go fish. And I'll dump my boat in and go fishing right away. I, yeah, it's, it's what I live for. I, I, again, I'm blessed 
that I'm doing what I honestly feel I was put on this earth to do, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's who I am. It's what I do. I eat, sleep, breathe, fishing. Uh, I love sharing fishing with other people. I love yeah. teaching people how to catch fish, clean fish, cook fish, whatever, right? It's, yeah, it, there, is, there is nothing else, which I don't know. I didn't really want to be that one dimensional in my lifetime, but turns out that I am because I'm a fishaholic. Yeah, well, I mean, but you've tried everything. So like you said, maybe it oh, yeah. helped that you shot so many big bucks when you were bow hunting. That oh, yeah. thing's yeah. not hundreds, too hard. Hundreds of them. You can see them all on the wall behind me, can't you? Right? Don't you see them back there? Oh, my gosh. But, no, that's that's awesome. So I, I mentioned this in the – I won't go into great detail because I went over it. I don't know if you had a chance to listen or people who are listening had a chance to listen to the first podcast. But I get asked a lot. How did Preston Outdoors start? Where did it start? And I said, well, it depends on if you want the whole story, if you want, you know, halfway through it or a quarter of the way through it. Quarter of the way through it, short version, wife came up with a logo and boom, we went. But um, a lot of people, if they hadn't already heard it, will go over it quickly. I, I think it was 2014, something like that, 2013. Um, you know, I got your email from my grandpa who got it. I think it was from your daughter, his stepdaughter that was working yep. at um, Cabela's. Cabela's. Yep. Yeah. Cabela's. And he, I had always joked with my grandfather that I want to be a professional bass fisherman like that. Yeah. What do you want? To, what's your dream job? That's it. You know, that's what I want to do. Um, and so he got me that and he goes, why don't you just email, start emailing Johnny. I did not have a computer with me. So I had to go to the library after work once or twice a week and he was fishing tournaments. So I had it on my phone. I wasn't going to type an email on my phone to a professional <laughs> angler. So I go to the library at the college and at Valley city state there and, and do that. And, um, kind of got me started on what I needed to do. And I, I, I tell people the same thing here when I, going into bass fishing probably isn't the easiest thing to do in the region that we, we live in. I said, if I would have dead, if I, even to now, if I would have dedicated as much time and money that I have put into bass fishing already, I probably could have been fishing maybe pro walleye somewhere doing something because we, I have to more travel, everything like that. So I, on the side, two points here, I do the social media side to grow my following to represent sponsors or promote to sponsors to try and get them to support me. And I do the tournament side of things. So a lot of guys will do either or and be very successful. I'm trying to bring both of them together. And I said, if it wasn't for Johnny and talking to him, how he got started on doing, you know, you told me reporters, like reporters was the biggest thing you had to do to get your name out there. You, you challenged me. One of the first questions was get your name out there somehow. Right. How am I supposed to do that? And what I always tell people, what kid doesn't want to be on TV? Right. You know, with the, with the power of the GoPro, what kid doesn't want to be on TV? So we started, you know, came up with a name. My wife came up with the logo and we started on YouTube and it's graduated now to a podcast. We've got Facebook, all the social media is out there. There's a press and outdoors somewhere out there doing it. So, I mean, that's kind of how I remember it might be different from your standpoint. Some young kid just keep bugging you on emails. But from, for me, it was definitely that you took the time and, and challenged me to do it. And I mean, now we're here today on a podcast. Yeah. Ethan, you were one of the only ones that ever emailed a second time, right? So uh, I, get, I get a lot of emails, phone calls, social media, right? I see yep. young kids or young adults at seminars and sports shows and in-store promotions at Shield stores and all that stuff. And you give them this, I give them all the same advice as you, right? If you yeah. really want to make it in the game, uh, don't try to be the next Gerald Swindle. Don't try yep. to be the next Mike Iconelli because no one's going to be that guy. Go figure out who Ethan Preston is and then find a way to tell the world to do it or who you are. And it's so much easier now, Ethan, than it was when I was 23 years old. Yeah. When I was 23 years old, there might have been, what, four 
television shows about fishing, maybe four. Mm -hmm. They were on network TV only because there really wasn't cable yet. There were, oh, excuse me, there were probably Outdoor Life, Field and Stream, In Fisherman Magazine, uh, Fishing Facts, and maybe yep. a couple more regional rag type newspaper magazines, yeah. right? Not that the quality wasn't good, but they, they weren't magazines, they were newsprint, right? So the only chance you had for anyone to know who you were was to get on one of those TV shows, which you weren't going to do when I was 23 years old because Bill Dance, Roland Martin, Hank Parker, right? They owned Saturday morning fishing shows. You weren't gonna get in there. So you start calling around to outdoor writers. And I started with local newspapers, right? My little hometown newspaper that went to about 10,000 people, maybe, uh, that was the first place I ever had anyone write about me. Then I had graduated up to the Cleveland Plain Dealer, which was a, a big city about 60 miles from where I grew up in Ohio. And I got a couple articles in there. And then I started fishing the professional walleye tour, which was run by Inn Fisherman. And I got lucky enough to meet a couple writers and have some quotes and some articles and a picture here or there. And that was hard, right? I remember annual reports to sponsors where if you got in two magazine articles and on one TV show, and then a half a dozen newspaper articles in a 12 month period, you were considered the king of their pro staff, right? Oh. Nowadays, I can do that sitting right here in my garage in yep. front of this same camera by pushing a button on my computer that says go live, count to about 20 and start talking about fishing. And I can have 5,000 people watching me in no time flat. So yes. it's much easier now to get attention, which makes it even harder to make the attention meaningful, right? Yes. Because yep. there's so much white noise now that you have to wade through and and you were the guy that asked the first time and I gave advice and you tried it and some of it worked and some of it didn't. And you asked the second time and I gave advice and you tried it and a little bit more worked and some of it didn't. And you emailed a third time. And maybe by the third email, I finally said, Ethan, just call me instead of email <laughs> me. You know, and, and I believe you were still in school, right? For a couple yeah. of years uh, before you graduated. Uh, we yeah, finally got was, together right after you graduated and fished together the first time, if yep, I'm not mistaken. first time we met. Uh, we trolled some lead core and put a hurting on some really big walleyes in Devil's Lake. And yep. uh, you made a nice video about that. And since then, we fished together a handful of times. And I hope to get to do it more often. I know our schedules don't always jive to let us fish together, but we will find a way. And And if we can't fish together, we'll keep doing this stuff. But yeah, I'd say now we, we communicate, I would say fairly regular, you know, probably yeah. once or twice a month, even if it's mm -hmm. just a note to say, Hey, how's it going? Or where's your next how's tournament? tournament? So, yeah. yeah. So yeah, you've done a great job uh, and you're still going. You, you, again, we talked about this four or five years ago, you picked a, a tough road to hoe, but uh, <laughs> you're getting there. You're getting there. And uh, I really wish you luck. I, I would, I would, I would love nothing better someday than to be sitting in a stadium somewhere down south watching you walk across the stage at the Bassmaster Classic because if you make the Classic, Ethan, I will be there. I promise you that. So, <laughs> well, I'll and, hold and you I'm to that I'm not because that's kidding the plan. You. Yeah, that's you the make plan. the Classic gotta... and I will be there. So. <laughs> well, 
Hopefully it's not uh, before you're too old to get on a plane or drive somewhere because it might be that long, but we're going to try and make it there. But no, um, I want to thank you for hopping on, Johnny. I mean, I think a lot of this information, one, isn't mainstream. It's not something you could, that it's someone with experience that's got time on the water, information that people can listen to or watch here and, and go from there. But if, if people want to follow you, Johnny, where can we look you up and, and talk a little bit about your guide service? We want to go to Devil's Lake and catch some walleyes with you. Right. So the easiest way, johnnycandle.com, that's my website. All the information about everything I do is on there. So you can connect with me on social media from my website. You can email, phone call, text message, whatever you want to do there. Uh, if you're a Facebook guy or gal, Johnny Candle Professional Angler, uh, that's my business page or my fan page. Please click the like button. I do yep. not accept friends on my personal page. I do have a personal page. That's for my mom and my aunts and my uncles and my relatives to share pictures of babies and birthday parties and all that. So yep. if you want to follow me on social media, please follow my fishing page, not my personal page. Uh, Johnny.Candle on Instagram and Johnny Candle on Twitter. So you can follow me on any or all of those. Uh, I'm not into the TikTok thing, Ethan. I can't dance good enough yet to, to make a TikTok. And uh, I don't understand swipe right and swipe left and all that. So I don't play that game either. So uh, just the, the three major uh, media streams are what I'm on. I do have a YouTube channel as well. It's not near as impressive as yours. Uh, over, over the years, I have not gotten into the 15 and 20 minute videos. These are a series of one and two minute fishing tips. Uh, yep. so they're, they're more of the quick hitters, but I have well over 250 videos on YouTube as well. So you can follow and subscribe to my YouTube channel. And again, that's just YouTube at Johnny Candle. So, uh, love to see you follow along. And, uh, I try to get new stuff up there. Uh, uh, pretty much once a week, I'm adding something to the YouTube channel. Now I hired a guy to help me wade through social media. So he's doing a good job of keeping fresh content on my YouTube channel. So that's how you would find me. And, and he's go to the giant, like you said, go to his website, check it out. He also does the, um, online seminars for, for hummingbird graphs. He's, uh, he's yep. going across the yep. country, maybe a little bit less now with, with the COVID, but a normal year when we get back, he's going to be all across the country doing seminars. So again, everything that he does will be run through his website, all the, um, events where he's where his next tournaments are all that kind of stuff so if you go there his he does a really good has a really nice easy to navigate website to where you can if you want to follow johnny you can see where he's going to be at what he's doing and where to where to um get get a guide service on devil's lake my dad and i just exactly. booked a trip i think it's in july something like that we're going to oh, yeah. go up there and try and catch some catch some walleyes so i'm really excited for that so it's if you want to learn how to fish walleyes it's one of the biggest destinations if not the biggest destination for for fishing in the state of north dakota and and johnny be your guy to look it up so once again johnny thank you for um stopping by dropping some knowledge with us and, and hanging out for a little while yeah it was fun man i look forward to doing it again all right, everybody, thanks for watching and tune in next time to The Pop, also known as the Preston Outdoors Podcast. We'll see you later.